of homesick for a country to which I have never been before. No sad goodbyes will there be spoken, for time won't matter anymore. Beulah land, I'm longing for you. And someday on the I'll stand there my home shall be eternal I'm looking down across that old river where my faith is gonna end in sight. There's just a few more days down here to labor. Then I will take my heavenly flight, Beulah land, I'm longing for you, and someday on the I'll stand there my home shall be eternal land sweet Beulah land Beulah Let's take our Bibles and turn over the book of 1 Timothy again, 1 Timothy. We're going to be looking at the life of Timothy just a little bit again and considering his ministry and just his mentor as well, the Apostle Paul. 1 Timothy chapter 4 and beginning in verse 7, 1 Timothy chapter 4 beginning in verse 7 today. Again, the Apostle Paul writing to Timothy under inspiration of the Holy Spirit says, But refuse profane and old wise fables, and exercise thyself rather unto godliness, for bodily exercise profiteth little. 
but godliness is profitable unto all things, having promise of the life that now is and of that which is to come. This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptation. For therefore we both labor and suffer reproach because we trust in the living God who is the Savior of all men, especially of those that believe. These things command and teach. Let no man despise thy youth, but be thou an example of the believers in word, in conversation, in charity, in spirit, in faith, in purity. Till I come, give attendance to reading, to exhortation, to doctrine. Neglect not the gift that is in thee, which was given thee by prophecy with the laying on of the hands of the presbytery. Meditate upon these things. Give thyself wholly to them that thy profiting may appear to all. Take heed unto thyself and unto the doctrine. Continue in them. For in doing this, thou shalt both save thyself and them that hear thee. Again, as a younger man in the pastorate, the younger man pastoring people that were saved out of a wicked lifestyle and in most cases were older than he was, Timothy was sure to receive a little bit of criticism. He was without a doubt going to find that there would be people a little leery of his leadership. <clears throat> Paul knew that the church of Ephesus had its challenges. And he also knew that Timothy would make the pastor that was needed for that position. And he knew that Timothy would face a number of obstacles along the way. But still he sent him. And Paul would give him some practical pointers of just how to overcome the challenges that he would face ministering to the church at Ephesus. He tells him and makes it clear that from the very beginning of the letter, I should say, he makes it clear that there's going to be apostates in the church. And there are already some, he says. But then also in his passing, there would even become even more of a temptation for apostasy to raise its ugly head. And it was going to become even a greater uh, obstacle and a greater battle along the way. So he tells him that he must fight and that he must remain steady and that he must stand in the midst of all of this. He tells him to refuse profane and old wise fables and to keep his and the people's focus on the, the word of God, the truth. He tells him to exercise himself rather unto godliness. Exercising your body, of course, does profit, and it is good, but nothing is more profitable for you and I in this life than to literally exercise the spirit, to work on the inner man. He also encourages him to remain faithful in the work of God, to labor and suffer reproach while trusting in the living God. And then we come to verse 12. And the Apostle Paul is recognizing and Uh, should I say, explains to Timothy and makes him very aware that, yes, you're going to have those that are going to question you and you're going to have those because of your youthfulness that are going to be leery and concerned about your leadership. But he goes on to say, let no man despise thy youth, but be thou an example of the believers in word, in conversation, in charity, in spirit, in faith, in purity. So basically what we're going to see is that Paul is going to now give him a recipe to overcome his youthfulness. Tell him to deal with the fact that, yes, although he may be a little younger, maybe in the eyes of some of the older members and those who have been around a long time, that he is quite capable and qualified to accomplish and to handle the job that was given him by God and the Apostle Paul. And so right off the bat, he says, let no man despise thy youth. 
And so we want to look at that verse tonight and consider this in light of how in the world is Timothy going to deal with the criticism that's going to come and those that will despise his youthfulness? How does he overcome that youthfulness and even the criticism that will accompany it? And that's what we want to look at because we're going to see the first thing he's told to do is let no man despise thy youth and to be thou an example. And so we'll look at that tonight. Let's pray. Father, we ask, Lord, that you'd help us to understand your word. May, Father, the truths of this message that were handed down to Timothy, may they also encourage each of us today. May they exhort us, may they equip us, and may they ready us, Father, for the work of God ahead. Lord, we need you, and we ask for your leadership and your love tonight. And Lord, we just ask, dear God, you'd just be real tonight in this place. Holy Spirit of God, walk these aisles and convict us of sin and show us our great need of you in our life. Father, help us to be honest with ourselves in you and allow you to do your precious work in our lives. We'll thank you in Christ's name. Amen. Paul here, right off the bat, is going to remind Timothy that his personal exercise in the things of God had to be demonstrated by public example, that he had to be living the Word of God. He had to be fulfilling the Word of God in, in deed. And it didn't matter what the attitude of the people were. It wasn't, that wasn't the issue. It didn't matter if they thought he was a good servant, if they enjoyed him as pastor or not. That had nothing to do with this. The bottom line was is that he had to exercise or demonstrate his Christian life publicly. You know, there's an ever-increasing trend in Christianity today to kind of downplay the importance of our external or visible actions. It just seems today to me that the, the position that's promoted is that God is only concerned with the heart and that any implied expectation or even scrutiny concerning behavior is simply legalistic or a sign of intolerance on our part. That's the attitude that seems to be prevailing today. You mean to tell me that you're going to expect people to actually live and act a certain way, to maintain a certain standard of living and morality and decency? Well, that, that just is just obvious that you're just legalistic, as they would say, which, of course, that's not a biblical definition of legalism. But nonetheless, they'll say you're legalistic. You're all about the law. And then they'll go ahead and they'll try to say things like, that just is proof positive that you're intolerant and that you don't have the love of Christ in your heart. What, because we expect our children to obey us at home and, and make their beds in the morning and get up and take a bath before they go to school and brush their teeth before they go to bed and follow a set of rules and regulations? That makes us legalistic and that makes us intolerant and angry people or judgmental? Let me say, well, that's different with your children. But God's not allowed to expect those things of us then. See, we can expect them of our children, but don't, God would never expect us to do those things. Now, that doesn't make a lot of sense, does it? And the truth is, biblically and scripturally, there is no scriptural proof or there's no scriptural uh, endorsement for this attitude of all that God cares about is your heart. Let me tell you something. God cares about your heart attitude, but let me tell you something. He also is very wise to know that if your heart attitude is right, your actions will align with that heart. You cannot separate how you live your life and how you feel and believe in your heart. You cannot separate that. 
And the Apostle Paul is pointing to Timothy and he's saying, now listen, you've got some fellows and ladies in that church who are older possibly, and maybe even they have a lot of experience in the ministry there at Ephesus. But the fact is that you, although being young, you're going to have to be an example of the Christian life. You're going to have to be an example of what a Christian ought to be, what the believer ought to look like. You're going to have to stand tall in the saddle or sit tall in the saddle. Scripture clearly teaches that we are to be visibly different from that of the world. In 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 12, turn there if you would, please. Again, this is one of those sore topics today in the Christian church. It's a sore topic. You know, I, you know don't judge me and, and, you know, oh, you think you're better than me because you have standards and I don't. You don't know my heart. What, what, what does that have anything to do with someone thinking they're better than someone? I mean, that, that's guilt, my friend. So it makes you feel that way when people say something to you. You, you say, so, well, you know, they say, well, you're going to be in church tonight? Well, what, like I have to be in church to be right with God? You ever get those kind of responses? Hey, we got this special service coming up. Won't you be there? Or, or hey, we're going out soul winning this coming set. Oh, yeah, like you got to go soul winning to be right in that church. You, you, ever, you ever run into that? Wait a second. Did you just, were you mean or nasty? No, you just were saying you're going to be at soul winning? We got this big promotion coming up and everybody's getting involved. You're going to be a part of it, aren't you? Uh, yeah, if I got some time, I'll, I'll be there. And then you go home and go, you can believe them guys. They act like all that matters is soul winning that church. No, it's just we got a promotion, and that's the big push right now. Not that we don't believe in it all year round, but that was the big push. It's not trying to put anybody down. We're not trying to make you look bad. We're not trying to, that's not the issue at all. But wait a second. We live our lives every day now. And every day there's things that are right and wrong. And we're going to note six things that Timothy's going to be given and is to be an example of the believer in. But notice in 1 Peter, I'm telling you, it is important that our lives are different before the world. Not just in our hearts before God, but before the world. Notice what he says to us in 1 Peter. So this is not an Old Testament verse. It's in the New Testament if we're going to divide the scriptures and we're going to start saying, well, that's Old Testament preacher. You're all about the law. Well, here's what the New Testament teaches. Having your conversation honest among the who? Wait a second, that's not even the church. That's not the pastor. That's not, that's not even your husband or wife that's saved. We're talking about people that are out in the world that are lost without Jesus Christ. Having your conversation honest among the Gentiles. That whereas they speak against you as evildoers, they may by your what? Good attitude? Attitude will play a part. But let me tell you something. He said good works which they shall behold, glorify God in the day of visitation. What he's saying is there's coming a day when God's going to bring every man into, into, into judgment and everybody, and he's going to, uh, you know, their number's going to come up, so to speak, or situation or circumstance going to arrive in their life. And listen, I'm going to tell you, he says, you, you need to be honest among the Gentiles. Not just, it says your conversation, we'll talk about this in a minute, not just your speech, but your, your lifestyle. That's what the word conversation means in the New Testament today, lifestyle. 
The meaning when it was first introduced into the King James Bible years ago in 1611, the word meant your lifestyle. And everybody understood it to mean that. But the word has somewhat changed a little bit in its meaning through the years. And as a result today, we say conversation, we think just about the way we speak. But in reality, biblically, scripturally, if you define the word from the Bible, it means your lifestyle. And what he's really saying here is that having your lifestyle honest among the Gentiles, that whereas they speak against you as evildoers, as they accuse you of wrongdoing, as they say that you're just wicked and simple or you're hard or you're you're intolerant and you're just very critical and cynical of everybody and everything and we don't agree with your position on this and we don't like your attitude toward that he says okay go ahead let them have that attitude let them think those things about you but your conversation will be honest among them to the point that they they may see your good works here they may by your good works which they shall behold glorify god in the day of visitation they're going to have to admit hey listen i do remember that guy and boy i'll tell you what i got egg on my face right now got egg on my face. And that day of visitation really has to do with judgment. But the fact is, is that, let me tell you, over and over again, I have seen this, whether it's in your workplace, whether it's in your home, whether it's uh, uh, at school, wherever it might be, your lifestyle, your attitude, and your actions before an, uh, an unsaved world, they may not like you, they may resent your beliefs and your, your stand, but they cannot deny your testimony. They can't. And I'm going to tell you something, they may try to blame you for this and blame you for that, but then all of a sudden when they really start adding the chips, so to speak, they come up and say, wow, that dude's always on time for work. That guy's always one of the harsh workers. That guy's always uh, here doing this and doing that. And boy, I'll tell you what, he never lies. He always tells the truth. He's where he's supposed to be when he's supposed to be there. What can we say about the guy? Make up a lie. Make up a lie because that's all we've got is lies. And even those will fall by the wayside in the long run. Timothy, you're going to have some people that are going to be throwing darts at you. You're going to have some people that aren't going to be happy with you. And so, listen, I want you to understand, uh, you're going to have to live your life visibly. Matthew 5, 16, you could probably quote it. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. Again, works are in plain view here. That's what we're getting at. Our works are in view. Not just our heart. Nobody can see our heart. They see our actions. They see our attitude. And he goes on to say, Let no man despise thy youth. The word translated youth here is used in the Gospels to describe a couple of different people. One, it's used to describe that rich young ruler that came to Jesus Christ. You know, the one who who came so anxiously to Jesus but then left sorrowfully when he realized that he really didn't keep the whole law? You remember, he says over in Matthew 19, 20, the young man saith unto him, all these things have I kept from my youth up. Talking about the Ten Commandments. What lack I yet, Lord? I've kept these commandments. What lack I now? And the Lord says, go and sell all that you have. What, what if the Lord told you to sell everything you had? I wonder how that would go over. You'd, I know what you're thinking. He would never tell me that. I know the word of God. Oh, God could tell you to do that. There's not one thing in here that says he couldn't. Not one. This young ruler thought, though, that he was right with God. He thought he had kept the law. No, he didn't. He's one of those youth. He was a young man. Then there's another place in Scripture, in the New Testament, Acts 26.4 where Paul basically is stating, uh, uh, you know, referring to his youth. 
when he says in Acts 26, 4, my manner of life from my youth, which was at the first among mine own nation at Jerusalem, know all the Jews. In this particular case, Paul's talking about his youth when he was young. And he's just basically saying is, listen, he says, my own nation at Jerusalem, they all know, the Jews know who and what I was when I was a young man. They know. And boy, what was he when he was a young man? He hated Christians. He hated them. How do we know that? His actions. His actions. We read about all three being used. First, the rich young ruler. He possessed great wealth and riches. The young, that, that young Saul of Tarsus, who he had all his religion. But then we find young Timothy. He speaks about young Timothy, who had nothing but responsibility. This guy was bearing the burden of the ministry. Paul describes Timothy as a youth. And again, like I said before, he was no teenager at this point. Timothy wasn't 17 or 18 now. Timothy more than likely was in his 30s by this time. He had traveled with Paul on a regular basis. He had been with him in ministry. He had served side by side. But still, in spite of that, he was dealing with those that were much older than him in the church, who were elders, possibly, already leaders in the church, who had already seen many victories in their life even. And now this young guy is sent by the Apostle Paul to take over the pastorate of Ephesus. And you can only imagine that there were some that thought to themselves, surely it should be me that's pastoring this church. I got to believe that. And I'm sure that there are some that were on the, the head of the deacon board or, or possibly the trustees that said, I don't get it. The people don't like it. And I have a responsibility to make sure he knows it. Because I represent the people. And they don't. But they too often think they do. And poor Timothy says, I'm just obeying my leader, the Apostle Paul, and my Lord, Jesus Christ. I'm just fitting where God told me to go and do. I'm doing exactly what I'm supposed to do. I'm not in here for a fight. I don't have any bone to pick with anybody. I didn't even choose this station. God put me here. And so Paul says, Timothy, you're going to have to show off a little bit. You're going to have to show up and you're going to have to do something and be what you're supposed to be so you can put to silence all the critics out there that despise your youth. Basically what he's telling. And so we think about a youth that's despised for a moment. I want you to think about David for a minute. David was one of those youths that was despised. Think about what transpired in his life. Um, the word despise means to think slight, uh, slightingly of someone. Now, again, there's going to be those in any church when a young pastor shows up, they're going to try to intimidate him. It just happens. 
And, you know, and it's, it's almost understandable to some degree because people get threatened and they feel very awkward and they're insecure because they don't know if this guy's going to change everything and turn the world upside down in their ministry. I understand that. And, and hopefully a young man is wise enough to take things slow and be patient and to use some wisdom. But then, see, we're dealing with Timothy here. And he was just indeed that kind of man. But David now is a man just like Timothy. In this case, David's really young. He's 17 years old. Can you imagine David? I mean, David, he ultimately gets an audience with the king early on in his life. He's just a young man. And he gets that audience because there was a servant who recommended him to the king. I want you to look at 1 Samuel 16, 18, and I want you to look at how David was, was defined by this servant. This is really good because what we're going to find is that this servant was more discerning than the king was. Oh, King, king Saul was the top dog. We understand that, and he, he had a lot of authority and power. But he wasn't as discerning, and he didn't see things quite like the servant did even. This is interesting. Look what the servant says in 1 Samuel 16, 18. Then answered one of the servants and said, Behold, I have seen a son of Jesse, the Bethlehemite, that is cunning in playing, and a mighty valiant man, and a man of war, a prudent and, and prudent in matters, and a comely person, and the Lord is with him. He's a teenager. He's probably 17 years old. Notice what he says. He's cunning in playing. He's, he's pointing to David's competence. He then says he's a mighty, valiant man. He's noting David's courage. He says he's a man of war. He recognizes David's conquests. He says he's prudent in matters. He says, boy, David, notice his caution. He's a comely person. He has charisma. And he, the Lord is with him, it says. That's David's character. I mean, he's got this guy, David, who is competent, courageous, has many conquests, is cautious, charismatic, and has tremendous character. And the servant says, hey, Saul, you want somebody to play? You want somebody in your court? There's the man. That's the young man you want in your presence. He is, he is beyond his years in so many ways. They were high words of praise indeed, but, or should I say, so Saul sent for David. He, and, and, and he sends for him, he brings him in, but he looks David over. And you know what he sees? He sees a boy. And so ultimately, in time, David goes back to his father, back to his home, and back to his sheep. But fortunately for Saul, he shows up again when Goliath is shooting his mouth off. Unfortunately, again, Saul, he looks at Goliath. And he decided that Goliath was just too big. David looks at Goliath and he thought, he's too big to miss. <laughs> so he volunteers to take the giant on. Well, Saul was skeptical again. Remember, one of the things Saul does immediately is he tries to put him in his own armor, doesn't he? 
But we know that's not going to work. And David says, this just isn't happening. I mean, David's just simply 17 years old and Saul's looking at this young teenage boy and he's saying to himself, listen, I don't see this happening. As a matter of fact, God himself makes a point to focus on David and note his youthfulness in 1 Samuel 17, 14. It says, and David was the youngest and the three eldest followed Saul. So he makes it a point to say, listen, David was the youngest. He was the youngest. And Saul could see nothing but a boy there offering to do a man's job, yes, but just a boy preparing to do a man's job. You know the giant made the same mistake? That was the worst mistake the giant ever made. That mistake rocked his world. (laughs) Okay. And when the Philistines looked about and saw David, he disdained him, for he was a youth and ruddy and of a fair countenance. He underestimated David. Big mistake. You know, Timothy was relatively a young man, but he was tall in Paul's estimation. He was tall in spiritual development in so many other areas of his Christian life. So he says to Timothy, listen, you've got to face these problems. So here's what you're going to have to do. You're going to have to live an exemplary life. You're going to have to prove to these people you are everything and more in that regard. And so he says, but be thou an example of the believer in word, in conversation, in charity, in spirit, in faith, in purity. First, be an example in word, in word. Timothy's conversation was to be exemplary. I mean, it was to be beyond reproach. That word is translated is from a word called logos. That suggests the spoken word. Literally, what he said, what he spoke. Today, uh, in our world, we hear a number of you know, words and speech patterns and all kinds of things, but the Christians should have their own pattern of speech. I mean, Timothy's... Everyday speech was to be of such character. It was to be of such consistency and it was to be of such content that it would make people see and think of Jesus Christ. And you know, that's what our conversation, and I say the word conversation again. We'll get back to that because we're going to talk about it in a second. But his voice, his words were to reflect on Jesus Christ in a very positive light. How do our words reflect on Christ? And I, 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 I caught myself using some slang the other day again, and I thought, man, that just is not very Christ-like, is it? So it says, well, did you cuss? No. But I used a word that I thought, that word could be misunderstood. If I said that word in a certain setting, someone may have thought I even cussed. And I thought, is my testimony worth being free with my tongue? Just having that liberty. And can I say those words without going to hell? Yes. Can I say those words possibly and get over by the majority of people? Yes. But the reality is this, is that people are listening to you and I, and our words are so important. And Paul is telling Timothy, listen, your words have to be exemplary. They have to be above reproach. When people hear you, they ought to think they're listening to him. Number two, He said there to be an example in conversation. He said you're to be an example in conversation. The meaning of this word in our society, as I mentioned, has changed since 
The original King James came out in 1611. It originally had the implication and understood to mean lifestyle, but now it kind of has come to the word, so to speak. Now, listen, I'm going to be honest with you. That's not that hard to see as you read through the Bible. It's not like you need a whole new version to figure that out. So don't go off saying preacher thinks that the King James is archaic and out of date. No, it's not. If you just read your Bible, you understand the, the, the word itself. You get the gist of the word. Just like we turned to that portion of Scripture with Paul, it was obvious that he meant his lifestyle, not his literal words. Paul, in the book of Galatians, chapter 1, verse 13, says, For ye have heard of my conversation in time past in the Jews' religion, how that beyond measure I persecuted the church of God and wasted it. You've heard of my conversation, he says, in time past in the Jews' religion. Well, you obvious. it's obvious he's not just talking about what he said. It's what he did that was the problem. And so it's obvious that that's what the word means. And that's exactly what he's telling Timothy now. He's saying, listen, people are going to be watching your lifestyle, how you live, and how you live ought to point people to me. When you, when you, what you, where you walk and what you do, those things are important because either they're going to point people to me or they're going to point people back to you. The fact is that people are either going to see you or they're going to see the Lord Jesus Christ in you. That's a decision you and I make based on our lifestyle. He's saying those Galatians may be older in years. They may have spent more years in the church but when they look at your life, you ought to be able to shut them up because you are living an exemplary lifestyle. You're living in a way that they cannot, cannot deny the power of God on your life and cannot deny that you are living a gospel-oriented, a biblical, scriptural lifestyle. Number three says, you need to be an example in charity. Now, charity, of course, we all probably know in this room that charity refers to the word love or means the word love, but the Greek word, is trans, it's translated charity here, really signifies a love that is, at, is the highest kind of love. So the word being used for this word here in this uh, text is talking about the highest kind of love. And someone says, well, I'm very aware that there are three types of love, I, whatever, but this is the highest. This is the highest. And that's what he's saying to Timothy. Okay, whether... You, you know, phileo and uh, you know, agape and all of that. He's, that's not even, this is the highest form. And he's saying to Timothy, be thou an example to the believer or of the believer in charity. The highest form of love. The highest form. That's probably, that's a pretty tough thing to do. That, that right there is a lot easier said than done. <laughs> You know, Timothy probably knew 1 Corinthians chapter 13 by heart. I, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't be surprised if Timothy could have quoted chapter 13. I mean, he was with Paul. He traveled with Paul. And we know that Paul exhibited tremendous love. And he wrote that chapter in chapter 13, that love chapter. And there's a good possibility that Timothy could have probably even quoted it. But he's saying... Timothy, you need to be like Christ in how you love people. You need to be exemplary in your love toward others, toward everyone, not just your friends and family, but your enemies. Let me tell you something, and you listen well. 
What's going on in our country right now, there's so much hate in our country. You better not get caught up in that. We are believers and we are Christians. We have no part in hating anybody. And you better be real careful that you don't get caught up in this mess. Listen, we have a God in heaven that is well aware of what's going on. And listen, there's more at stake than just the United States of America here. There's, There's the kingdom and there's the future. And there's eternity at stake here. God help us to love people the way Christ loves people. And thank God He loved me when I was unlovable. And He still loves me because I know I'm not that lovable. My wife makes sure I know it. No, I'm teasing. She never did. Uh, yeah, you would say that. Thank you. Appreciate that, yes. <laughs> the truth hurts, right? You know, Jesus Christ was the only person whose life was a moment-by-moment, audiovisual, three-dimensional picture of what the highest form of love is. He's the only one. And he's telling Timothy, Jesus is the standard. Now, you want to put to silence the critics that are concerned about your youthfulness, that despise it even, then you be an example in charity. Number four, be an example in spirit, he says. He's talking about Timothy's character here. Your character is to be exemplary. So Timothy's human spirit was to be so filled and so inhabited by the Holy Ghost of God that his whole being would radiate Christ-likeness. That the life of God would be seen in his life. And in his attitude. Well, we have to learn to cooperate with the Spirit of God. We have got to understand the importance and the impact that the Spirit plays in our life. The fact is, is that only through the Spirit of God can we understand the Word of God. The only, that's the only way. Through Him is the only way we can do the will of God. It's the only way we can accomplish the work of God. It's the only way we can properly engage in the worship of God or display the wisdom of God is when we are filled with the Spirit of God. That's the only way. And yet we operate in the flesh so often. And he says to Timothy, listen, if you want to win the critics, if you want to put the rest and put the silence, those that despise your youth, if you want to overcome that obstacle in your ministry and in your life, then you're going to have to be an example in some areas. And one of those areas is that you're going to have to be an example in spirit. You're going to have to have a character that is exemplary. Number five, he says you have to be an example in faith. In faith. He's saying, Timothy, your convictions have to be exemplary. You know, I read a statement, and I'm just going to read it because I don't want to mess it up. The, The author said, through the centuries, generation after generation, God has raised up people who have set examples of faith before an unbelieving world and a half believing church. I, I couldn't get away from that. I had to, I had to read it verbatim because I don't want to mess it up. And I certainly can't claim it because it's that good. He says, through the centuries, generation after generation, God has raised up people who have set examples of faith before an unbelieving world and a half-believing church. Isn't that sad, though, to think that? But isn't it true, though? I mean, 
in our own hearts, we have to admit, there are times where we are not as filled with faith and conviction as we ought to be. We look at our life and we say, man, where have my convictions gone? Why is it that at one time I stood so strong and firm here, but now I'm back here? He says, Timothy, you have no, you cannot allow your faith to waver in that sense. You have to be an example of faith. You have to be an example of biblical, scriptural conviction. You have to stand strong and true no matter what. Boy, there were giants of the faith like George Mueller. We know that he demonstrated who God was in his life and that God was a rewarder of them that diligently seek him according to Hebrews 11.6. He had a number of homes and thousands of children in need that depended on him regularly, consistently. Mueller would take his petitions to God alone. Over and over again, Mueller would watch as God supernaturally interceded on his behalf and provided needs, the needs of those orphans, the needs of those homes. On one occasion, there was no food in the cupboards. And George Mueller had no idea where the food would come. But he sat the children down at the, at the table to eat, just like normal, and began to offer up prayer. And during the prayer, came a knock at the door. And they brought it all in. Let me tell you what, there have been men and women through the years who have been exemplary in their faith. And he's saying to Timothy, that's the kind of faith that you're going to need if you're going to overcome the critics of your youthfulness, if you're going to deal with those that despise your youthfulness, if you're going to deal with those that don't believe you belong in the position that you, should, that you are, then let me tell you, you better be exemplary in your faith, an example of it. And finally, last but not least, he says you're to be an example in purity. Timothy's cleanliness was to be exemplary. He was to be clean. The word translated purity in 1 Timothy 4.12 comes from the same root as the word translated holiness. So when he says or uses the word here uh, for purity, it's also giving us a picture of holiness. Let me tell you something. Holiness is a lost message in the Christian church today for the most part. It's a lost message. And boy, there is no power of the Holy Spirit in our life without holiness and purity. No purity, no power. And yet we live our lives saturated with the world. God help us to realize how influenced and how impacted every last one of us are. We're so quick to assume that we have overcome the world in ourselves. But we can't overcome the world in ourselves. We are overcomers through Him. And we've got to get in His presence and we've got to spend time in His Word and we've got to meditate on His Scriptures and we've got to allow our hearts to, to, to memorize and meditate on the things of God and think on these things. If we're ever going to be pure of heart and filled with the power of God, God help us to have some Sunday school teachers who are pure, holy, And when they stand before their children on Sundays or they stand before their class on Sundays, it's not them that's speaking. It's God through them. 
And maybe God help us to have some choir members who are holy and pure and have not defiled themselves through the television and through, through the internet and through social media that night before or two nights before and have allowed themselves to meditate on the things of God and have said, listen, I want God's power tomorrow. When I stand to sing, I want it to be His voice they hear. God help some bus captains to be clean and bus workers to be purified so that when those children get on the buses, they're meeting with the Savior, not just simply a servant or someone involved in the bus ministry. Every driver, every captain, every worker, pure. And and Paul says to Timothy, listen, yes, let no man despise thy youth. And you know how you're going to do that? You know how you're going to ensure that they don't despise your youth? First of all, be thou an example of the believer. In six areas, Timothy. Word, conversation, charity, spirit, faith, and purity. And if you will exemplify these qualities and characteristics that every believer ought to measure up to and ought to apply to their life. If you will be an example of the believer, you're well on your way to silencing the critics and those that despise your youth. Paul will go on to offer some other suggestions along the way. And we'll look at those the next time we get together in this study. Boy, help us. May God help us to be examples of the believer. Examples of the believer. How are you doing with that? How are we doing? Because really, that's the key, isn't it? We need to be exactly what God wants us to be. And we ought to be examples of the believer, just like Timothy. Father, we come to you. Thank you again for this time we've had together in your word. Bless us and help us. Father, just speak to our hearts. Holy Spirit of God, do your work in our lives. Father, may you just point out areas in our life.